0: Back in the day, we didn't have any headsets, and I held a mic all the time, and then once you get used to having a headset and having your hands free, a little different. But I'll be honest with you, when I preach with a handheld, I preach the fire of God down, so just be careful today. <laughs> I used it as a hammer, too. <laughs> oh, you hit the floor, but not necessarily by the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen. This morning, this morning. Hey, I got a few places we're going to jump all over, but I'm telling you this morning, you need a Bible. You need a Bible this morning. If you don't have one, jump on your phone real quick. The uh, Wi-Fi in here, lowercase t time, lowercase t time, and uh, you will jump on your phone, jump onto like a Bible app if you got it. If you don't, you should. I mean, come on, it's too accessible these days. Most everybody has a smartphone, and if you don't have a Bible that you're going to carry on you, then at least carry some sort of Bible on you. You never know when you need the Word of God. Last night, I get a text from Robert, which I hope you, Robert Montgomery, for those you don't know, is a pastor up in uh, Como Picton, First Assembly of God, or actually not First Assembly, they're called Harmony Assembly. And he was uh, needing some prayer about some things, and Immediately, the nice thing about it was some scriptures immediately came to my mind, but to make sure I didn't misquote them, I was able to jump on my Bible app, copy them off, send them to him instantly. He was like, man, I just, he goes, that's what I love about you, being able to do that so quick. Hey, man, I did it because the app was able to do it so quick. Uh, But it is nice to know the Word of God to a place where when somebody needs something or asks something from you, you know exactly where uh, uh, you need to be. Matter of fact, the text that I sent him, I don't have my phone on me. Uh, The text that I sent him, uh, let me tell you, you know, like anything else when you're dealing, and I'm going to share this uh, uh, because I think all of us at some point or another struggle with this, uh, uh, the same thing that he's struggling with. You know, you can't make everybody happy, and sometimes when we don't make everybody happy, especially as leaders, uh, they let other people know about it. Now in the church, we call this the same thing they call it in the world. We call it gossip. That's what we call it. It'll kill a church just as quick as anything. So one of the things that I sent him, I said, listen, just lead healthy and lead strong irregardless. I said, Robert, you know your heart. You know your heart. You know how you're leading. You know you're not trying to offend anybody, trying to hurt anybody. But sometimes as a leader, we step on toes. That's part of the process. And then I sent this to him from Jeremiah 20. And if you've ever had somebody struggle with somebody gossiping about you, that's something that's not true, I want you to hear this this morning. It's got nothing to do with my message. I'm just giving you a free one. All right? All right, this is what I sent him. Jeremiah 20, just verses 10 and 11. It says this, I have heard the many rumors about me. This is Jeremiah talking about himself, right? They call me the man who lives in terror. They threaten, if you say anything, we will report it. Even my old friends are watching me, waiting for the fatal slip. He will trap himself, they say, and then we will get our revenge on him. But the Lord stands beside me like a great warrior. Before him, my persecutors will stumble. They cannot defeat me. They will fail and be thoroughly humiliated. Their dishonor will never be forgotten. Somebody say amen. You needed that this morning. If anybody's ever spoke to you in such a way, I told you, I'll start preaching like fire and brimstone out of this thing. Give me a handheld mic. the uh, uh, That's the thing, man. Everybody needs a word like that once in a while. When somebody comes against you that's not true and they're saying false or they're fabricating things about you, by gosh, you better be able to call up the word of God and stand strong on it. So that's where we're... Not supposed to be starting from that this morning. That's not where we're starting from, actually. But if you're going to join me, join me in Genesis chapter 2. That's where we're going to begin. I thought we're preaching on the gospel according to Mark. We are. But we got to drive there first today. I got a lot of scripture for you. If you're taking notes, you should be. Uh, This is going to be good for you. This is going to be good. If you're not, I hope you got like this awesome memory that retains everything you hear. I have that some days, some days not so much. Depends on who's saying it. If my wife is saying it, I wish it was better than it was. Not necessarily so. Not necessarily so. But this is where we're going to start today in Genesis. Genesis chapter 2, and I think it's just the first couple of verses there. First, uh, I think, 1 through 3. And that's where we're going to say amen if you're there. Should have been easy, right? First, very, Very first book, super easy. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work, and God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. Let's pray this morning. Father, uh, Lord, as we read your word today, God, I, I ask that it would just be like a seed planted. Lord, I don't, I don't know how it grows. And Father, I'm going to give that one to you. Lord, I'm going to trust that as you told me where to go, what to teach, what to do, and as you guided my hands by your Holy Spirit, I'm going to trust, God, that you did the work, that you guided it, you've declared it, and you will plant it. You will grow it, God. Father, your scripture says the man sleeps and knows not how it grows, but then gets gets up for the harvest, Father. Lord, as there are times where I can't see it, and it's like I'm slumbering and I'm sleeping, God, Father, may I have the ability to trust you right now that the seed planted in them will grow, will be watered, will come to a time of harvest, Father, in whatever part of their life, whether it's from salvation or whether it's to eternity, Father, whether it's to grow them closer to you, whatever that is, Lord, may it be a bountiful harvest in Jesus' name. Amen. So, this account is taken from Genesis, right? It's where the first concept of the Sabbath begins. God, the creator and father of all, without any effort, breathes over the void. He creates everything. It all starts here, right? Well, chapter one, really, but I mean, as we're getting to the end, this is where where it all is, right? Now, when we enter chapter two, we often kind of glance over this beginning because what's about to take place in chapter two, following into chapter three, is the fall of Adam and Eve, the fall of man and this would go on to cast like this giant shadow over the old testament until the birth of Christ who would ultimately deliver us from sin and death that begins right here so what Adam and Eve would begin Jesus would put to an end amen so it goes as a week amen I'm telling you we need to take another coffee break and start the little video again i think so it goes unnoticed all of that goes unnoticed. I mean, we just think that's part of chapter 1. We don't even think that's part of chapter 2. We just kind of go on uh, until the time and uh, the leadership of Moses. And so as Moses comes down from Mount Sinai and, and from talking with God, he's got the laws of God, and we see the Sabbath now being instituted back into or into for the first time the culture. It's, it starts here. Exodus twenty eight through 11. You'll have to turn there. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest, dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants. Man, it inclu- it's, <laughs> this is great. It includes your livestock and, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them, but on the seventh day he rested. This is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. So from this point forward, it's pretty much an understood thing that you work six days and you rest one. And at this very moment, because it's introduced as the law of Moses, it's uh, hyper or very legalistic basically, which means it's not up for an opinion. This is the way it is. All right. All of Jewish law and custom revolved around this idea as much as any of the other laws. It wasn't without purpose either. There are a few obvious things to the Sabbath. The first being that it provided a day where God wants you to rest. Can I get an amen? I'm for real. God, God wants you to rest. Man, it's probably, I mean, that's an awesome thing, by the way. I, I think we take that for granted or maybe overlook it too much. But that's such an awesome thing that God desires that we take a day off. That already should be enough to make us want to come to church. How many of your bosses are like, you know what? You just need more days off. That's what you need. More. I want to guarantee you that you have days off. Man, I don't know. I work for some guys be like, no, guys with days off, you're just wimps. You're just wimps. But God wants you to rest. He wants you to take a day off and just relax. Secondly, the thing is here is that you're supposed to be a spiritual reminder Uh, to that this connects you with God the Father and how he made the heavens and the earth and all the things therein, right? It was to create a custom idea that would not only give you a day of rest, but in that day of rest to be a reflection upon what God has done, right? And remember that the God who made all these things still today establishes a day of rest for you. Listen, one of the cool things I love about that is that that is a wonderful concept, a concept that we would develop a tradition or a custom, and now for them it was a law that has a twofold purpose. One purpose being a physical purpose for you; the second being a spiritual purpose for you. One being that you would rest, and that during this rest that you would have a reflection or a time where you would remember that this is would remind you of the time in Genesis two where God rested, and it would take you back so that when you could tell the story on the day. Why, why do we? So when your kids would ask you, why do we rest on this day? Well, let me tell you why. You see, it created the moment, like when, you could, when, when, when a kid would ask their parents, like, hey, why do we do this? Well, let me tell you why, because on the, they'd go through the whole thing, and God began, and God, you know, in the beginning was God, and God, and they start going through the whole Genesis 1, right? And they get to Genesis 2, and then God rested, and that's why this day has been declared as a day of rest, because it gave a ministry opportunity. By the way, I think today, if the church is going to create customs or traditions, they need to follow the same thing. I, I do. I think they need to follow the same thing. But here, still, the law is here, and just like any law, it's a love-hate thing. It's a law, a law. That's the thing about rules. The irony and the much of the hypocrisy of the people who complain about legalism of the church is that every household, every job site, every city, state, and country, there are governing laws. Come on now. However, all of us understand that those laws aren't here to hinder us, though sometimes they can right? Those laws aren't here to make us angry or deny our freedoms, though sometimes they can, and it, sometimes it does seem that way. No, these are laws or a series of rules designed to keep people safe. None of us have lived without rules in our life. It's funny how much we hate laws, but we have never known a day without them. You've, the day you were born, there was rules. I promised you, your mom ever slap you on the hand when you try to read something, there was rules. Before you even knew what the laws of America were, you knew what the laws of your house were. You knew what you couldn't say and what you should say. Say no again. That's what my dad would say. Say no one more time. Oh. (laughs) Right? We've been under rules since then, man. However, the hypocrisy comes only when we hate a rule that keeps us from doing what we want to do because we actually like laws up until that point. Irregardless of safety, irregardless of right or wrong. And listen, I see this all the time at work right at work we have a policy no alcohols on the trail no drinking and driving out there anything like that but can i tell you uh, the last like three or four fridays have been doing a lot of hiking guess what i see on the trails cans and bottles of alcohol everywhere they don't listen to the rules right now i'll be honest with you we don't have a whole lot of incidents that revolve around alcohol and and drinking and stuff right But it doesn't take a whole lot of incidents to realize that, hey, it's probably not smart to drink and have a firearm. Because I think that's why he shot a hole in his truck. True story, by the way. Right? Probably not a good idea to drink. Maybe that's why they rolled it down that big mountain and got up wanting to fight. And what's up with taking your shirt off every time you want to fight? That's weird, too. Is it so they don't grab it? Is it like a hockey thing? You know, I don't know. I always get scared for a cop when I see a guy get out of his car without a shirt on. I'm like, oh, my gosh, he's about to get tased. I mean, that's just a regnet fight stance right there. Come out without your shirt on. All right, tell that joker's been drinking. You got to be crazy. Put your shirt back on. That cop's going to think you're out to kill him. So it, it doesn't take much, right? We, the, those rules and why they might not seem like it's too much or why 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 those rules that we set up might seem like, well, it's not that many people in trouble. It might not be people that are breaking the rules. But it's a good rule because the ones that we do see make it worth having the rule. And while most people can abide by the rules, it's still funny to me how many people choose which rules they follow. You know, I was thinking this morning even about speeding a little bit. And I hate talking about speeding because I've been guilty of it. But can I tell you, nobody cares about speeding until their kid dies of, of it. Let somebody kill you, like like drinking and driving. Every, there's a lot. Like I've been guilty of drinking and driving, but I'm gonna tell you right now, I will prosecute somebody to the far end. You kill my kid because you've been drinking and driving. That's why I'm not a big guy who promotes. I don't like the whole drinking thing because rarely do I see a lot of good decisions made while people drink. And let you get two beers. Why well, only had two beers? Kill somebody and see how all of a sudden you're an alcoholic with your only two beers. That's just how it is. There are laws set up for a reason. There are laws set up. You know, and, and the funny thing is, is we only want those laws when, they, when we want them. And then when we don't listen to them, they don't apply to us, and we act like they don't, they don't matter. But that's not the way it is. It's hypocrisy. So some laws and rules are good for us. They might not always be what we want, but their intentions are good. Laws and intentions are good. And in, in youth ministry used to say rules mean I love you. That's what they mean. That's why I got rules for my kids. Don't do that. You're going to get hurt. But I did it and I didn't get hurt. I know because I pulled the fence so far back from the cliff that if you jump the fence, you don't get hurt. All right. That's why the rule seems absurd because there's no way you can get hurt if you jump the fence. I know but I pulled it all the way back on purpose because I knew you were dumb. Right. You laugh because, you know, there's some truth to that. Right. The law of God gets a bad rap because there's been some confusion in the past about how it works with salvation. But that doesn't discredit the law altogether. The laws and the decrees of God are good. In Psalm 119, the psalmist finds delight in the law of God. How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. Have you tried I have tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sit against you. I praise you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. I have recited aloud all the regulation you have given us. I have rejoiced in your laws as much as in riches. I will study your commandments and reflect on your ways. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. And listen, this is not any less truce statement or anything from the New Testament because listen, it was Jesus who said in Matthew 5:17 through 19 that he said this, don't misunderstand why I have come." I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For all our discrediting the law of God, which we do today, Jesus said it's good. Now, we need some more explanation of that, right? Because what is the purpose, right? That's what it comes down to. Jesus said, I've come to fulfill its purpose. So what is the purpose of the law? And we talked a little bit about that on Wednesday. More, Paul said, it was the law that gives sin its power. The law declares the righteousness and the holiness of God the Father. And at the same time, exposes everything that isn't. The laws of God provide a clear proof of our conviction and guilt as a sinner. Thus our need for Jesus and the atonement, right? The law leads us to Christ through our failure to follow it. You understand? And there lies here all the, where the confusion all, always comes with the law. So the laws are good. But the laws are bad. No, they're not bad. They're, they're good. But the law reveals to us a definition of righteousness and holiness that's clearly unattainable to us. Because let's be honest, we can't follow the law. Right? That's the honesty about the law is that we understand the reason we don't like it is because we know it's hard. How am I supposed to do that? It's hard. I don't, I don't know how, like, I'm, I'm, I'm doing good not to lie. And, like, and, and I think, like, the funny thing is, like, we really, we say, well, I don't lie anymore. Eh, I don't know if that's true. Let somebody come up and be like, "You really don't want to hang out with me." Be like, "Oh, I got something to do. I can't really do it that day." You'd be lying like a mug, right? It's hard. We struggle. We can't follow the law. We struggle with obedience, right? We want what we want and when we want it, and so we do it, just like that, and we justify it however we need to. Abortion, adultery fornication, sex before marriage, stealing, lying, and the list goes on, right? The law brings us the deep revelation of how greatly we need Jesus because we live rebellious lives in view of the law. That's partly its purpose, to reveal the great sickness within us. That's that's what it's here to do. So, like, every time I'm like, well, I can't keep up with the law. I I mean, I try to do these things good, but I just can't. I struggle at... That's the purpose of the law. That's the purpose of all these things, right? That's why Jesus said that it will not disappear from us until it's accomplished its purpose, which is to convict us of our wrongdoing by making us feel as if it's impossible to please God by our works. True statement, by the way. Totally impossible to please God by our works because we fail at keeping the law, right? This will, in turn, push us to look for a solution on how to please God. Well, how will we do it? Well, we can't. So what do we do? We fall on our knees and we say, what? Jesus. Right? The law and our failure to accomplish or meet the law's standards forces us to Jesus. It breaks us down. It should make you broken. Like, God, I'm trying with everything I can. I know. I know. Keep keep trying. See where that leads you. It'll lead you broken. And when you're broken, then you will go to Jesus. When you quit doing it all your way and finally give up, that's when it's the perfect time to meet Jesus. It always leads us. The law leads us to Jesus. Paul said it to the Romans in Romans 3, 19 through 20 says, obviously the law applies to them whom it was given for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses (laughs) And to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made righteous by God, or with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. And this is the purpose of the law. It exists to reveal our need, our desperate need for Jesus. And that's a good thing, right? It's a good thing. So, where it started to go south is when over the years there arose all this teaching that placed an emphasis on the works you do after salvation. So, that when we hear the word law, we think of legalism, and legalism we think of maybe 20, 30 years ago, where if you looked a certain way or did some third way, I remember there was people telling, because I don't really, I don't know that I grew up in the most legalistic time. I've experienced legalism. I think anybody who's been a Christian for a long time has become a legalist to some degree at some point in their walk. Uh, you know, that part where you start comparing everybody to you, like, why aren't they this and why aren't they that? Yeah, that's your legalistic part where if they're not to this standard or this, you know, bar here that they must not be saved. I, listen, I can't judge who's saved and who's not saved. There's sometimes I've seen some people who I know saved with everything within me and they slip up, and make mistakes. And I know they love Jesus because the first thing they do when they slip up, and make a mistake is repent. But they try and they try. That's just part of it. But this is the purpose, right? This this is what it's all about. This is the law. It's showing us how sinful we are, right? It's legalism and all this stuff. It goes south, right? And and the way the legalism worked was this. So you meet Jesus. You believe in Jesus. You start out living for Jesus. And since repentance should produce fruit, come on, I preach that in here, right? Uh, the expectation of that is, is that if you're not doing all that Is commanded of you in the New Testament after salvation, then you must not be saved, or you must be losing your salvation or a backslider. This became what we call today as legalism. So you so now what I did is I said this come to Jesus. You can't do anything, it's not by your works. And I told you all that, right? To make you get to broke, because that's the only way you can come to Jesus. If you think you could do it on your own, you'd never come to Jesus. So I tell you that you need to be broken, that you can't do anything. I tell you one thing out of one side of my mouth, right? You come to Jesus, and then all of a sudden I say, out of the other side of my mouth now that you've come to Jesus you have to do this and do this and do this and do this and then you need to do this and you need to go back and everything they'll test me you better look at that too and start doing this and doing this and doing this and all of a sudden if you're not doing those things then how could you have Jesus in you wait a minute which is it right and a lot of people left the church right I mean it because it got crazy can I tell you like the things that used to tell me like, yeah, I mean, I literally had people like, brother, I'm, I remember when if you wore white shoes, you were gay. I was like, white shoes? <laughs> I'm not kidding, man. People would tell me so like, yeah, man, if you had long hair, mm 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 mm. I was like, oh man, I'm glad I never met that church. I don't know if I'd be saved. I'm serious. I don't know if I'd ever be saved. Um. Uh, it escalates from the law, and it becomes other things. Well, man, do you see the way that? I mean, like, listen, we, it's come a long way to get to where you can, like, just come in shorts and hang out in a T-shirt and listen to Jesus. It used to be if you didn't wear a suit, you must not be saved. Did you see the heathen sitting in church today? Well, come on now. That's what they'd say. I'm not, you know I'm not, you know, I'm for real. Some of you have been in church long enough to know, like, that's the truth. Back in the day, man, you know, God cared about how you looked. Well, your outside better be better than your inside. That's what people thought. And listen, listen the truth of the reason that way that works is because people do care more about your outside than your inside. So that at least they'd stay off your heart. That was the best way to disguise your heart is look great on the outside. Talk like a Christian and look, look all nice and clean and everything is good and right. That way nobody ever sees the dirtiness of your heart. <sighs> I, I I'm fortunate that I didn't have to experience a lot of that, but man, I understand it. I've seen it in little bits and pieces here and there. You know, I've seen guys give their whole hearts to Jesus in worship to have people go, because he didn't look the part or he didn't sound the part or act the part, you know, think that this guy's not really worshiping God at all. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this guy's one of the best things I ever heard or best things I've ever seen. This is unbelievable. You know, some of those people leave the church and they never come back. Can I tell you right now, though, God's not going to be like, well, I'm going to come after those people. Listen, salvation is a personal thing, and if anybody can scare you away from Jesus, you might not have the relationship with Jesus you should have. Legalism and the things that you will encounter in the church are no reason or excuse to leave the church. And by the way, I don't mean like mosaic. I mean like the body of believers who believe in Jesus. If anything was to ever happen, you were so offended you needed to leave this place, I pray to Jesus that you will find another group of believers where you will find yourself accountability, and you will find yourself the Word of God, and you will get underneath some teaching that will grow you. We will not survive by ourselves. We survive by staying together. All right? Not all the church is the church, by the way. Listen, just because we're all here together doesn't mean we're just a single body out here doing it all by ourselves. No, there are churches all up and down this corner up here that are our friends. There are bodies of believers inside each one of those churches up there that believe in Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And those are our brothers and sisters. You are not alone, ever. If anything is to ever go south here, you are not alone. There's always a place where we can find home and refuge. Where? In the church, which is the group of believers who believe in Jesus Christ and have given their heart to him. Amen? Now, listen, a little side note. I think the pulpit tolerated a lot of that because it did keep people in the seats. Seriously. Legalism kept people in the seats. Because if you ain't come, tell me if you ain't heard this, because if you ain't coming to church on Sunday, you must not be saved. All right? Also, it goes to show you that how easily the pulpit really sways to the popular teaching of his day, too. There's a reason why legalism took off. Just the same way that the church didn't stand up back in the day when slavery was around. Come on, the church promoted a lot of that. They helped it along in the South. They did. They used the Bible to justify a lot of the things that they did back in. And the reason why, they couldn't see the truth because they wanted to make the truth match what they wanted. And so they use whatever they could, right? Popular preaching. We kept people in the seats. It keeps the pastor paid. It keeps all these things happening. I, mean, I hate to say it, but like some of this, we have to understand, right? You got to know why. Like, how could how could legalism exist? The same way that Martin Luther went up and he stamped his uh, big thesis to the Catholic door, and you know what it was about? Justification by faith. Now let me explain justification by faith. You don't know. Just real quick, as a little side note here, that a justification by faith just means this: that by faith you believe in Jesus Christ, and that's enough for salvation. Catholics did not believe that. They didn't. You had to do stuff. And if you had a little money, you could just pay. Literally. That's back then, a long time ago. That's how it used to be. And he was like, I read the Bible, and it doesn't say that. And they're like, shh. I'm not kidding. I mean, that's church history, guys. That's just church history 101. And then uh, over time, you know, obviously Standing up for the truth, Martin Luther is known for the big... And the sad part is Martin Luther never wanted to split. He never wanted a Lutheran church. He never wanted all that stuff. He just wanted the church to speak the truth. That's all he wanted. He loved the Catholic church. Loved it with everything in him. And, and it's just that. It was just preaching a false false deal. Because why? Pastors had the power. And if you have to do works, well, who are you going to do that work for? Right? So, listen, this is... This is where all this stuff gets sour, and when all this stuff gets sour, and there's a big misunderstanding, and when you don't know the Word of God, and the, that power, listen, knowledge is power, so the more you know the Word, the word of God, the more power you have to make good decisions, and, and not just good decisions, but listen, godly ones, godly ones, you should be rooted in the Word, that way you're not swayed, all right, by itching ears, and ministers that like to tickle, because they do, all right? So you should be rooted in the Word of God yourself, man. This is why I said you need a Bible. You need to take notes. You need to know this stuff because it's not about uh, uh, more, than, it's more than just about coming here. You need to be set up that it, anywhere you end up in life, man, that you can follow Jesus and Jesus alone. That doesn't mean you won't find people that you want to sit underneath their teaching or in, underneath their giftings. It just means that you, the only pastor, pastor in your life, just like the Bible says, the only shepherd is the great shepherd. There's only one shepherd in the Bible. It doesn't say there's going to be many, many, many shepherds that all this sudden stuff in the New Testament. It says there's one shepherd, the great shepherd. Let's move on. Lastly, there's, so there's no confusion on what we believe, I would quote you to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Listen, not by works, so that no one can boast. So it's not by works or any effort we make towards following God's laws, commands or decrees that make us saved. It's by grace through our faith in Jesus Christ or the atoning work that he's done that we're saved. And, and, and this is how it is, right? Th- this is why like you get like Lakeshore saying no rules, just Jesus. Well, yes and no. Yes and no. Like I understand what they're saying. They're saying it's true. Rules don't save you. No matter how good you are at following the rules, they won't save you at all. At all. We are saved through the atoning work of Jesus Christ. And by putting our faith in him, we are given grace because we fall short of following the rules. So when they say no rules, just Jesus, that's all they want is just Jesus because they know they fall short at following the rules. But that doesn't mean we don't try to be obedient to what God says. It doesn't mean we don't try to produce fruitful repentance. It doesn't, doesn't mean that we just completely don't have to obey the law and we're free to do whatever we want. Paul addressed this too. Now in the Romans, uh, uh, chapter 6, 15 and 17, he said, What then? Shall we sin? because we're not under the law but under grace. I mean this is the listen I'm trying to do like how Paul does where he asks the rhetorical question like you know that something's there right? So I'm trying to like answer that and help you there right? So so he says what then shall we sin because we're not because we're not under the law but under grace? He says by no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be the slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. So you see, through the realization by the law that we are sinners, we are pressed towards salvation through Jesus Christ, because of our failure to follow the rules, we're pressed towards Jesus. And through our salvation in Jesus, we're given the means now by which to be obedient towards the things that God has called us to be obedient to. When we fail, the grace of God swoops in. So we, what happens now is this. So we're saved. But I want to produce fruit for repentance. Well, what is that fruit? Well, it's, that stuff's easy, right? Kindness. Joy, right? Peace, patience. There's, I mean, there's tons of, we could go, there's a whole thing. I mean, I could just really drive home just, just a lot of that stuff. But what I'm trying to tell you this, I'm trying to be like Christ. Well, how was Christ? Well, Christ tried to follow all the rules, guys. But here's the cool thing about this this is the greatness of the gospel. This is why you should, like, this is why we fall in love with Jesus. So when, because you're going to fail, <laughs> right? That's the thing. Like, wait a minute, if I go back to the rules, I'm going to fail. Uh huh. Where does failure, go, failure of the law lead to? Jesus. So I'm just going to keep going back to Jesus? Hey, that's a good thing. That's like a novel idea. Maybe we should build a church after that and just make that the thing we do. Just fail. People used to ask me on time, what are you all doing in your church? I don't know, probably failing. (laughs) What's your vision? Failure. And in failing, we'll find the right way. Because I'm just telling you what I see in the Bible. Every time we fail, grace swoops in. And who brings grace? Jesus. Jesus brings grace. I mean, how can you not love the gospel? How can you not love Jesus? Grace swoops in, man. So, weren't we talking about the Sabbath, right? I know it seemed like a big rabbit trail, but I promise you it wasn't. I think we needed to understand this before we pressed into what was happening in Mark. So now, you can turn to this, Mark chapter 2. And we're going to close out the second chapter of Mark. That's only been like two and a half months. Two and a half months, we made it through the second chapter. There's what, maybe 14, 15 chapters, I think. I remember a guy who tells a stories like, uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about Mark 19. Everybody turn right now to Mark 19. Say amen when you're there, and everybody says amen. He goes, well, we're going to talk about lying, because there is no Mark 19. It's a great sermon, great sermon. <laughs> Everybody's like, hey, amen. Mark 2, verses 23 and 28. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads and grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Jesus said to them, Haven't you ever read in the Scriptures what David did and he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God during the days when Abathar was high priest and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests were allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people and not the people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Now, a background in the Sabbath now helps us here to understand what Jesus is trying to not only teach them, but also to teach us. So let's just keep it simple, right? I said all that just to get to this place. The problem is, is that the Sabbath was a day of rest and Jesus was allowing his disciples to gather grain viewed by the pharisees as a direct action against the law their question became if you're from god then why aren't you following god's commands that's a valid question by the way did you hear anything uh, that i spoke of this morning in the text that quoted from the law of moses that said what you couldn't do on the sabbath it just says he wanted you to rest didn't describe what anything was, didn't, didn't declare, like, didn't legalistically go down and start like, like a lawyer would and start listing all the activities to make sure it's covered under everything, right? Now, why? Because over the years, the teachers and the Pharisees, they had developed a giant list of things you couldn't do, and they had added on the things to the law to bring clarity. Well, can I, can I go grab the grain? no. Hey, I, I'm telling you, man, there, if you go read about Jewish customs law, the, so you could never leave your house, right? So you know what they used to do? And t- boy, this is like, you learn this stuff from teenagers. So this, you get this stuff right here, and, and they would go, you can't leave my house. I'm just going to pick up this brick, and I'm going to carry it with me. I ain't technically left my house. Teenagers learn that. That's from teenagers. I don't think adults thought of that one. <laughs> teenagers come up with that kind of stuff, man, that old legalistic stuff. I, I think teenagers, I always think teenagers, man, those are prison lawyers. Those guys, they like, they like everything. You better be absolutely clear. Well, you never said I could do this. Yeah, they, they talk like that, don't they? That's how they are. Right? Pharisees did the same thing. They tried to add all this stuff. They had a list of things, and they would do all kinds of stuff to kind of get around some of that because even, too, they needed to do some things, too, once in a while on that day. And so in the passage, Jesus is trying to return them back to the original intent or the heart of the Scripture. He says the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of you. Or the people, not the people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. God didn't give us a day of rest just because he said so. <laughs> he did it for us. Is a gift. It was a gift. It's there to remind us to stop. Slow down. Reflect. Take it easy. Enjoy your family. Go have a meal, man. Be thankful for what you have. And, and also to thank God, right? You get the idea. Over the years, what God had meant to uh, be a help for man, we as human beings had turned it into a chore and just another rule. Right? We had lost the heart of what it was there in the first place. The Sabbath had become just another rule to be followed and just another place to fail rather than an opportunity to see the love Mercy and grace of God that is wanting to make sure we don't exhaust ourselves in our daily routine. Man, I mean, that's such an awesome thing. God says, listen, before these guys get uh, just wild with wanting to go to work and build all this stuff, I'm going to make it mandatory that they have to rest. (laughs) Because there's some of these guys, if I let them go, they're just going to work to death. They're never going to enjoy this place that I built. If I don't stop them and teach them what a vacation is, they're never going to take it. They're going to consume themselves and the things that consume their heart greed and lust and all these things that overcome us it's like I tell the old story in leadership about the plant that uh is in like Panama or whatever and they go out there and they're trying this back in the uh, early 1900s they go out there and they realize cheap labor and stuff and they realize they could pay them in a month what these guys make like in six months you know and the problem was so they get the guys in there and they they pay them like a six months worth of wage in one month thinking that's going to keep them every month right but in one month they would just quit and then be off five or six months And so they brought in a Sears and Roebuck catalog. And all of a sudden, these guys didn't know what they were missing. All of a sudden, I need a coffee pot. I don't even know what coffee is. I need a nice table and chairs on my dirt floor. You know? I need this nice shirt. I don't have a shower, but maybe I'll buy a shower too. Right? And I'm going to tell you, they worked their fingers to the bone to get all the stuff right? Nothing's different. You think we're different? Man, we put in overtime. We'll work seven days a week. I I mean, I remember when I first started driving a record and somebody paid me good money for the first time I worked. I got four days off a month and I worked 12 to 17 hour days because all of a sudden when that money was rolling in, I I was making really good money in the early 20s and, and, and it seemed like a lot of money to me. Mean like twenty two, like a thousand bucks a week or something was taken home. I was like, that's a lot of money for twenty two. I just come out of the Marine Corps, and that's like an eye opener. All right, Marine Corps pay you like six hundred bucks a month. You know, you make a thousand bucks a week. What? (laughs) Why did I go in the Marine Corps? And and like, it was, uh, it made me work and work and work. And then after a couple of years, I was like, man, I'm tired. I don't want to be fifty doing this. And at some point, I started realizing. I want time off. I don't want to work no more. I was like, I'm getting tired. I don't even want to work. And and that's the thing is, I think God God knows the law. If the law is supposed to expose things about us to make us drive us to God, the one thing it should expose is our lust for things, our lust for stuff, materialism, greed, our lust for this ideal life, especially that Facebook and and all our social media presents to us this fake life. Really, you know, now that they can show you every place that you're missing, right? I mean, it's a great advertisement place because it shows you every place that you want to go now. All right? I mean, seriously, like I see all like the exotic trip giveaway, and they show like some place. Like they showed some place the other day I saw, can you believe this is in Texas? And it showed all these like straw huts, and it looks like a a nice little like almost like a a little getaway place that has these little huts on the water, and they're like on stilts and everything, and you just kind of hang out. It looks really really exotic. So the thing is, man, the only place that's got water that much is East Texas, and I can't imagine the mosquitoes. It'll probably kill you. Yeah, it looks great as long as you have a net over the entire island. (laughs) But that's what we do. We see it and we want it. And God says, listen, man, you need to rest. It'll come. You want something, it'll come. But rest. Rest and reflect. Take some time to yourself. Take some time off. Today's Sabbath is is our Sunday, really. And we go to church, and we fellowship with each other, and we build up our courage and faith to tackle another week and take the Great Commission to the world. And we leave from here, and we'll go eat a meal with our families or with our friends. And sometimes we go back. We've got chores at the house we'll go ahead and knock out real quick. Or, man, sometimes we just relax. And you know what's great? This is God decreeing all of that. God says, would you go do that? Would you? Would you mind, like, on a day where you just took a day off, kind of hung out with other people and eat and just chill? No, God, we're not going to do that. Come on now. Right? I mean, I'm always amazed, like, why didn't you go to church? Oh, I just wanted to sleep in. I know because you're wore out, man. You need a time of rest. But how are you going to get through the week, man? That's why we need each other. Build yourself up, man. Build yourself up. Meet with your friends. Meet with your family, right? Get some things done you need to get done. I'm okay with that. But, like, listen, it was created for you to rest, man. Take advantage of it. But also remember that it's what the Lord, the Lord desires for you to rest. And also remember, too, the whole thing that, that started in the beginning is remember it all started with God. God set it up from Genesis 2 and then pressed it all forward. I mean, even to this day, the whole idea we meet on Sunday is still the idea of Sabbath. Still that same idea and keeping the sabbath is no longer a law thing but it will always be a wisdom thing right you're free from it you can go work you're totally you're totally free to go work more if you're like man you're sitting here today you know what i could be i could be at work today yeah, you're crazy first of all if that's you if i just read your mind i'm sorry like i feel like sorry for your life right but I, I, i'm just i'm just saying like we don't we have the grace to to do one or the other. But how awesome is a Sabbath to just rest. And it's just wisdom. Just take some time to yourself, man, and just sit there and do nothing. Some some like my wife's like, that's hard. I just see so much stuff that needs to get done. I know that's what the other six days are for. Work hard during the other six days and take a day of rest. Take a day of rest. That way you don't feel guilty about that, that, that next day, right? So you can exhaust yourself. You can burn out, too. Let's bring the worship back in. You can exhaust yourself. This is one of the biggest things I see, and this is where Sabbath comes in most than anything. And I see it a lot with pastors. You know, the, they talk about burnout a lot with pastors. However, I would say this when it comes to pastoring. Like, I don't know how you burn out pastoring um, unless you're just really trying to lead bad. If you're leading bad, I can see how you could burn out, but it's very hard for me to see how to burn out pastoring because to me, when you're walking in your gift, it's kind of not fair. I mean, it's like asking somebody who's really good at baseball, can you not be good at baseball for today? Like, dude, that's hard. I don't know how to not be good at what I'm good at. You know what I'm saying? So, like, when somebody's gifted, it's kind of hard there. Burnout, I think, comes when we're usually working in an area where we're not familiar or not comfortable. or doing things that are not normal for us. Right? And I'm going to tell you, if you're experiencing burnout, you need a Sabbath. You need a Sabbath. I know I'm getting ready. I'm, I'm kind of looking into over the next few weeks to take kind of a silent retreat. I've uh, been wanting to do one with the church for a while now. Maybe this will be like the beginning of that where I can kind of develop some things while I'm in my own personal retreat to help everybody else. But uh, in the next few weeks, that's something that I'm going to do. Take a Sabbath where I just get still before the Lord and I'm going to no TV and no cell phone and nothing but my Bible and prayer. That's it. And spend some time on my face. And when I say some time, I mean a few days. You know, a few days. Um, I I think that's everybody needs that. I mean, one one of my mentors, one of the things that he does every year, and it always has baffled me. I've never done it. I've always prayed. And it had long times where I pray and pray, and, and, and it's like I never stopped praying. I never stopped having a day of devotions either where I study daily. Um, but the one thing he does that I never did adapt uh, was he would every year go get, like, two nights in a hotel and never tell anybody where he's going. And maybe his wife. He tells his wife. And uh, he would lock himself in, unplug the TV, and just be quiet with God for two days, two or three days and just either if he ain't praying, sleeping, he's reading. One of those three. That's all he does for 3 solid days. And he comes out of there with a vision of where we're going, what we're doing, everything else cuz he has sought he has sought God, you know? And I'm going to tell you like that that's a pastor that does that and you go, "Well, that's what pastors do." You know, honestly, it's what you should do. I can't have a vision over your household. I can't have a vision over your kids. I mean, some of you got things going on in your life, man, you need clarity for. Will you think it's going to come hearing it at the sermon? It ain't, man. God has a word for you that he wants to give just to you. I mean, this idea that God might work through me to you, yeah, it could happen through the word of God. But the truth is, God wants to talk to you just as much as he wants to talk to me. I mean, I like to believe God's selfish and he loves me more than you, but it's not true. It's just not true. You can work seven days a week, but you don't have to. You can exhaust yourself, but you don't have to. You can have burnout, but you don't have to. This is you making that decision. You can make a decision to have one day a week where you rest and replenish. And hopefully this is that day for you. If it's not, you better make Saturday. One of those days better be it. But one day needs to be a day where you rest and you replenish and you reflect. You have that day because God has given you that day. Amen? Let's bring the worship back up.